the feedback in the other parts. So, okay, so today we begin with this uh, conversation about our first core value, which is hospitality. Now, these um, core values that we're going to be discussing aren't valued one over another in any way, in any particular order, but we are going in a particular order because some of them are sort of like more foundational and naturally first, and then others of them are more like sending or cumulative, and so we have sort of set out an order to go through them. Um, and today we start with hospitality. So, and we start with hospitality because hospitality is just so like basic. Not basic in like one way you can take the word basic, but just so foundational, so obvious, so like a part of us. Um, from just like set tables to warm coffee to cozy seats and opening our homes, living together, working together, um, being sensitive to needed adaptions, Kaleo shows hospitality through making room in our budgets and our schedules and our homes and our lives for each other. Okay, I'm going to, all of you who are like looking at your sheet listening, like waiting for the words, I'll tell you when I'm going to start with those, okay? <laughs> okay. Not, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I see you're like, what you say? Okay. Um, uh, so in our budgets and our schedules and our lives, uh, we have made room for each other. Um, and we have created this uh, beautiful platforms for hospitality to exist, for space to be made. I think of the Woody Cross Community Garden. I think of Posting Room in the Inn or welcoming children as equal members of our community. There's so many ways that we have kind of, this is such a basic value for us. We open our front doors and our lives to each other and people have found refuge in this space, in the opening. Hospitality is like so basic for us, but on another level, it's kind of like Kaleo's Enneagram number, right? It's like, it's like we are so focused on it and it's like we can identify with it so much that in some ways we actually miss some crucial things and we actually are so in tune with it that we don't realize the way that we're being unbalanced or maybe even harming ourselves or it's like uh, sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy around our fears and so it's like Yes, hospitality is like our superpower, and we can, uh, in humility, like own it and like really own it well. But it's also like can be like our kryptonite, right? Uh, it can be it's like our passion, but it's like also our main pain point. And it may be the reason that you're here today, but it's also the reason why a lot of people aren't here today. Hospitality, for better or worse, is ours. It is like this unique calling, this value for us to live up to and for us to fall from its lofty heights. Hospitality both inspires love and consumes us with its many demands. It is life-giving and it can be life-threatening. I think of moments at the pinnacle 
hospitality. I think of a Christmas Eve service several years ago that comes to mind, where we invited everyone we knew who would be alone on Christmas Eve. We sent them real invitations that we had paid a designer to design. We killed the fattened cow quite literally financially and ordered every barbecue for the group. We, we crammed in the club hut and there was literally not another seat. We were like, everyone has five inches of elbow room. And we just had this Christmas Eve service where we sang and we ate and we shared and the kids enacted this, the story of the hope of the season. And, and afterward, we took the leftover Edleys to neighbors who were shut in. It was like from beginning to finish, this perfect, this perfect picture of openness, this perfect picture of hospitality. And then, on the other hand, I can think of other moments where we have quite literally abysmally fallen short. I think of um, one Easter service many years ago where a couple of neighbors that we had made connections with in the neighborhood actually showed up to church for the first time ever. And not a single person talked to them. And they left before we even served brunch. You see, like, it's like when I think of where we're at right now with hospitality as a church, there's sort of like this image that comes to mind and, or this experience that I've had. And it reminds me of something that happened when we started renting our tiny house, our Airbnb that's attached to our house. See, when we started, we had like this little space. We had these few resources. And we spent all that we have to make it just like as hospitable as possible, to open this room to guests. We thought about every single thing a person could need. We provide local coffee, a full kitchen, a cozy bed, but we do more. We have travel guides to the city. We have bamboo toothbrushes in case you forgot your own at home and those chewable toothpaste tablets. We provide local Tribeca eggs, real maple syrup, waffle mix that you can make your breakfast in the morning. So many little touches and guests have come from around the world, from Australia, from Europe. We've had uh, business people, we've had librarians and musicians and travel bloggers, all kinds of people that have come to this space. But in the first few months we were renting, I noticed something kind of strange. See, if you ever stayed at an Airbnb, you can fill out a review after you've stayed in a location. And Airbnb has these little badges. When a guest fills out a review, they can tell the host what they've done well. And they do so by clicking on these little badges to say, these are the things out of the list. These are the things this host did well. Well, see, when we first started to get reviews, I noticed these little badges. And we were getting, oh man, we were getting all the sparkling clean badges, right? Those that say sparkling clean, you got all of those. Sparkling clean, it's easy to keep 165 square feet sparkling clean. Fairly easy. Taylor might disagree. Uh, 
And thoughtful touches was another one. We had so many, we had all the thoughtful touches, badges. And uh, stylish face. We got all the stylish face badges. But I was just like, just totally shocked about this one that we weren't getting. <laughs> it was called Outstanding Hospitality. <laughs> <laughs> I really like we have spent all of this time and this money and this thought and this intention and like just we have been doing this for a whole year getting ready for these other about hospitality what in the world and yet when our guests saw a list of the badges they could give us and they saw outstanding hospitality they were like mm, nah and I started to think about this, and I was just so confused, and so I started to notice. I started to notice when we got these outstanding hospitality badges and what was going on. And, and then it hit me. We can't just open up this space. We can't just provide amazing amenities. We can't just pick up the eggs and the syrup at the store and the coffee. The people, the guests, didn't know that it was out of a heart of spaciousness and openness and care for them that we did all of this until we talked to them face to face. And the missing piece we discovered was that when we were able to interact with our guests in person, talk to them, they heard, sensed, and felt our outstanding hospitality. And in the cases where we did that, we started to get badges. <laughs> and in the cases where we didn't, we continue not to get that badge. It was all about the interaction. The interaction was the key. That's what we discovered. Okay, writers, I'm, I'm gonna start. You guys ready? <laughs> Those of you who want to get your spaces filled in. Okay. Hospitality is at its base level, making room in a person, space, or group for the thing that doesn't belong. Yes, hospitality is keeping the place keep clean. It's keeping our relationships full of joy. It's purchasing the eggs for breakfast on Sunday morning brunch day. It is doing the hard work of showing up and signing up and cooking and cleaning and preparing and hosting. It is making room in the same space for the introvert librarian and the extrovert travel blogger. All of that is the hard work to let those people find a home in the same home. Hospitality is eating like Jesus did with the Pharisees and the tax collectors. It is open to both. Or you might say in an incarnational translation of that passage, it is setting the table for both the neighbor without a home and the neighbor who's the executive of the neighborhood nonprofit. And we have done that. I mean, it's amazing. This is what I'm talking about. Like, we've done that. There is something here, a gift of God in this particular community that has allowed different people with differing perspectives, find a spiritual communal home 
without sacrificing who they are to be here. We have made room. We have done some construction work on what it means on, 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 on the conception of church. And it looks a little different. And we've done that work at great expense to make this place, this gathering, this church community, a place of welcome. But hospitality needs authentic connections and conversations to really be called hospitality. See, for us, we have done so much that sometimes I think that we forget to do the very small things that actually matter the most. We forget to go out and find the one that is new, different, sitting alone, disconnected, sad, unengaged, or absent. I think we are at times tempted to get up, get hung up on all that we have done. And now we just want to enjoy it. <laughs> we built this community. Now let's just enjoy it. But hospitality takes intention and discomfort. Hospitality is not just setting the table, but also when the long-anticipated guests arrive, making them feel welcome in person. Not leaving this task up to others, not assuming that others are. Being, responsibility, being responsible for our hospitality as our own. I was recently talking with someone who's a part of Kaleo, and I was telling this person that Caleb and I are always looking for the one. The one in a Kaleo gathering or service. And there's usually one. One not being sat with, one not being talked to, the new one, the different one, the one with special needs, the kid in the corner. I mean, there's, and it's amazing how easy once you start looking for them, it is to find them. And I go over and I talk to them and I welcome them. And, you know, this is really necessary, right? It's really necessary for those ones to feel like the, the uh, pastor cares about them, knows their name. But I was telling this person that actually, it's like basic, but it like actually is not the thing that matters, right? Like I can do that every week. But I have seen dozens of people come and go from this community without anyone other than a pastor even learning what their name is. I've seen someone come week after week until three months in, a core member of Kaleo finally introduces themselves to them for the first time. It is a little bit painful to talk about, that as much as it is that we try to be intentional and, but there's, there's this discomfort. As much as it takes to be intentional and, and, and feel the discomfort of striking up a new relationship or a new conversation, 
it is more uncomfortable to realize that our failures to be intentional and to see and take on that momentary discomfort has led to scores of people who have come to Kaleo only to find no community for them here. And this, this hallowed ground for interaction and relationship with the world, it, 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 it's like, our, it's like our, our practice ground, right? If we can't welcome here, if we have missing, if we're missing something here, how can we out there? If we don't see the tax collector in our own house, how will we see her in our lives? Christine Pohl talks about this as a bigger problem, a problem facing society. In her book, Making Room, Recovering, the Hosp Recovering Hospitality of the Christian Tradition, she takes this to a grand level. She says, one great reason why the rich in general have so little sympathy for the poor is because they so seldom visit them. Hence, it is that one part of the world does not know what the other suffers. Many of them do not know because they do not care to know. They keep out of the way of knowing it and then plead their voluntary ignorance as an excuse for the hardness of heart. You see, hospitality at its base level <laughs> is ultimately about loving inclusion. Our value of hospitality is one of inclusion. It is the driving force behind the hard work of including our children in so many ways as parts of Kaleo. It is the driving force behind reaching out to the neighbors that we live near or engaging in social issues like anti-racism or immigration reform. It is, it is the driving force. It is both having community event signs translated into Spanish and having dry events in the community where halfway houses are present. When our neighbors in halfway houses, our, our neighbors in halfway houses aren't being considered when margaritas are present at community events. Loving inclusion drives us to diversify in ways we didn't know before. It is a growth edge that will never flatten out as long as we are individuals trying to understand what it is like to be not us, which is our work. Making room as a community for those who are not us to be with us and not only with us but also a part of us in the body of christ demands our constant growth it demands that we push past willful ignorance and experience the discomfort of finding our truth too narrow to hold a neighbor as a brother. Ultimately, inclusion is about being wrong. Not about who we are, but about those for whom we seek to make room. It, it is about making mistakes, asking for guidance, seeing what we missed, 
is about leaving the 99 that we feel comfortable with, leaving the 99 that feels like enough. The lie that we are blessed to have 99% will keep us from going to find the one. You see, the time and the energy of the shepherd in the parable that Jesus told when the religious folks were upset that Jesus was hanging out with the tax collectors, valued the one not in the room over the 99 that were with their time and their resources. Do we have eyes to see not only the 99 that we feel blessed to be with, but the one that hasn't made it in the room? The one that is lost in the wilderness? Do we know their name? Do we know why they are not here? Are we going to find them? This can be hard to hear. But hospitality must listen to negative feedback in order to remain hospitable. So last week, I flew from Denver to Nashville. And amidst all the chaos and fear of flying during COVID, it was a unique experience. Overall, Southwest, flew Southwest. Southwest wins my flight selection like every time. All my money goes to them. <laughs> I have their credit card. There's the way to go, right? My, my sister decided not to come with us at the last minute. And the day before my flight, I called Southwest. Within five minutes, I got a person on the phone, canceled my sister's flight, got a full refund and an email confirmation with my new number in five minutes. This is what, right? Well, it's Southwest, man. <laughs> Nothing to do with me. You know, we get there. There's no lines. There's no lines. We check our bags for free. We go. Uh, we board with family boarding. These daily five. So we all sit together. Family boarding. This is generally a pleasant experience, right? Except for that the planes were, the plane on the way there was 100% full. There was not a single seat. And they have a mask policy, but the, the flight attendants, on the way there, it wasn't a problem, but on the way back, the flight attendants just aren't present enough to enforce it. So, like, I had to do, like, the Emily Smackdown moment on the guy in front of me. I can tell you about that later. Um, so, uh, yeah, so you know, if you've ever flown Southwest, that, the, like, the day after your flight, you get an email. And it's like, please tell us about your flight. Now, I've never done this, but I was like, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do the review. And there's all these categories and they're very specific. How was your experience with check-in? How was your experience with this? How likely are you recommend a friend to fly this way because of this? And overall, it was like, great, exceeded expectations. Great, exceeded expectations. Except for the COVID stuff. And I was like, there was no social distancing. The, the flight attendants couldn't enforce the mask policy. You know, I would prefer that people not be allowed to eat on planes. I mean, sure, you can drink, but you probably can live not eating for an hour and 45 minutes. Um, so anyway, and, you know, the thing about Southwest is they get my money because they do these things. They send out the reviews and they listen to the negative feedback when they come in. 
And they don't only listen, but they change things and they respond to them. I think sometimes as a church, it is easy to make excuses and sweep away negative comments, uh, kind of sweep them away. Um, you know, we're tempted to write off complainers as complainers sometimes, you know, um, but could it be that there is a gift in the dissatisfied and disgruntled church community member? Uh, sure, it is painful to listen to them, and sometimes it's painful because they point out the very things we fear most about ourselves, um, and in that way they become our prophets, pointing out the ways that we've failed to hit the mark of our identity. And then, you know, it's easy to sideline people when they say, have, share negative feedback, like, look, that's, look at their anger about that, their posture they need to do some growing up. Uh, and sometimes it's very basic and discriminatory, like it's their age or their gender or their color. And maybe it's just like, they don't fit. It's, it's, it's look, at their, look at their compliance with our standards. But if we're able to listen to negative feedback, once we become and are able to become hospitable to anger, to complaints, to pointing fingers, and to judging words, then we will have truly become humble hosts and authentically hospitable. When we hear the negative feedback, we will be able to hold it, not because we are self-deprecating or because everything they say is right in the way that they say it is right, in the full sense of the word, but because when we are whole, we can carry a critique without it breaking our back. When we can confess our flaws and mistakes and our oversights without identifying with them, because we actually care what people's experience with us, the body of Christ, is. We can say, I'm sorry, without saying, but. Which leads to the next point, which is on your paper. Hospitality is also about confession and forgiveness. Another test of hospitality will be for us when we as individuals have been able to, with the help of God, make room for others to hear our critiques. See, confession isn't just admitting when you've done something wrong or hearing someone else's negative feedback, but it's also about being honest about the ways the church has not lived up to the web what you have helped. It is confessing true issues, becoming maybe one of those critical prophets, and I mean critical in more than one way, for a time. It's about sharing negative, your negative feedback. Believe it or not, not sharing negative feedback is probably one of the most common ways that churches can fail in hospitality and love. We want to overlook and overcome and get past hurts that are not, we don't think that are intentional. We want to give the community the benefit of the doubt. We don't want to make a big deal. Uh, this tendency is not helped by the fact that keeping the peace in our culture has attained poisonous virtue-like status as someone who 
can be direct on an airplane. I know how uncomfortable people feel being direct or receiving directness in our society. To say something that seems bold, to critique a community that you're a part of is rather difficult. America feels much better about saying something vague online or something bold online to people that you don't know or care about. That's what we're comfortable with. But in our own communities, to those who feel a rub, to quote a song from Frozen 2, you feel what you feel. Those feelings are real. And they may, they may feel, feel silly to share or like you're making a big deal over nothing. But let me assure you that if you do not share your feelings in an intentional way, they will come out in a way that is less helpful and in a way that the community cannot benefit from. Emotions coming out sideways create wounds instead of change. When you share negative feedback, you open up the door to be, number one, apologized to and affirmed. Number two, you open up the door to be wrong about your assumptions of what was happening in someone else's experience. And you open up the door for your relationship to be stronger than it has ever been. You place implicit trust that the hearer will hold your hurt with care and courage. And that is no small thing. There is no guarantee that it will go well. But if you offer it, if you do not offer it, it won't go at all. And let me just say, because it should be obvious maybe, but I think we sometimes get stuck in this, is that those who haven't heard don't know what we're doing wrong until we heard the voices that are committed to us relationally and even vocationally. We all live in our own worlds. And even us pastors don't know what you're thinking and feeling unless you tell us. So that leads to one of my last points, my, my last main point, and then there's two side points. This is the one that's out of order. Hospitality is sometimes reminding someone struggling in the family that they always and already have a place. Hospitality is sometimes reminding someone struggling in the family that they always and already have a place. In the parable of the prodigal son, it has many times been expounded that it is perhaps the older son that has more to learn about the father than the younger. See, the younger knows that he has sinned and has come back with the humility of a slave. But the older son says he has been working like a slave all these years and has never received the truth of being a son, owning everything. His father reminds him, everything I have is already yours. And I hear the continuation of the subtext of that. You wanted a feast for your friends? Why didn't you ask? You didn't even need to ask. 
It's already yours. I think sometimes in Kaleo, the things we have committed to can start to feel like a one-way street. Us giving to them. And this can even become an ego posture that starts to break down our relationship with our church community. We must remember. We must remind each other that we already own everything we need. We are already the sign. And sometimes if we need something, we just have to ask. And maybe we don't even need to ask. Maybe it's already ours. Sure, we need to go find the one. Sure, we need to welcome the prodigal son home with the feast. But we also need to remind each other that we too are co-owners of this whole thing, that we are entitled to the hospitality we are seeking to offer. Okay, I'm going to wrap this up because this is getting long and we've got to get done. Okay, so the last two wrap up. Hospitality feels like a waste of time and money for the pragmatic parts of our minds. So I don't think as a community as a whole, we struggle with this concept, but I think it's worth noting that killing the fattened calf and leaving the 99 to go find the one is can be expensive. Um, it's costly. It can cost a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of other things that can seem illogical if we're only thinking that part of our minds. But if we, if our value, if our core value is hospitality, then that is a defining force for us. It means spending generous time and money. Uh, and with that money and time, we set our intention, our posture, and our values once again. Finally, authentic hospitality is inspiring. That's right. When you see authentic hospitality, when you make room to include the outsider, when you see the shepherd leave the 99 in the open field to go find the one, it's like this inspiring. It inspires us and others in our world. And ultimately, this is the good news, right? This is the good news of the incarnation that Jesus eats with both the tax collectors and the sinners. Ultimate inclusion. Who is this man? Who is this God? May we live up to our calling to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world today. Okay, let's pray. God, I pray that your unique calling to us to live this unique, very specific group of very specific people would find ourselves healthy and whole in our calling to be hospitable, that we would engage in discomfort, negative criticism, that it would be inspiring the ways that we are able to be hospitable and inclusive to those in our world. I pray that you would help us as we work and live together in this way. Amen.